Amen. Well, um, our friend Tim used to say when his in-laws were coming over that he's told he's happy about it. So, I'm told I am very excited about Saturday night. No, I am very excited. We love having everybody over. We love cooking. Um, It's a joy to get together. We're so blessed to have this body. So, uh, the... I don't know. I never get tired of getting together. I just don't. I just, when the doors are open, we love to be here. We, we have a hard time closing it down. We just love hanging out. So super excited about it. Um, I'm excited about giving glory to the Lord this year. And I would say my patriotism has waned in recent years, but my loyalty to the Lord and his kingdom is getting stronger. And it is not in any way disrespectful to our country. Absolutely thankful for the freedoms we have and the things that, uh, that we enjoy as a nation because of sacrifices men and women have made. Thankful for that. But we are not called to patriotism. We're not called to nationalism. We are called to the kingdom of God. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm learning to take that more seriously. Is it okay if we grow some? Is it okay if I could say, hey, a few years ago I was on the Trump train and now I'm on the Jesus train? I don't really care who's in office anymore. I mean, I'd like to have better economy. I'd like to have godly men and women in offices. But if we don't, it does not affect my relationship with the Lord. Where I would say a few years ago, it kind of did. God has been doing a work in my heart. So I'm going to speak a message tonight that I don't know if anybody here is going to get anything out of. I apologize ahead of time. Austin, you ever do that? You're preaching something that God told you, and you're like, well, I, I don't know if this is for anybody else. God's been telling me that it's time to march for war. God's been telling me it's time to march for war. I have had a difficult time in my Christian life understanding the concept that I am in an actual battle. I love to be at ease. I listened to a message recently, and he was listing qualities of ungodly man, specifically a man who was sort of effeminate. And of those qualities, I was proud to say that there was a lot of them that I was not. Yes, I'm not that, but then there were a few that I identified with on the qualities of a man that is not godly. Have you ever done that? Ever looked in the scripture and said, man, that's kind of me? Boy, there's a weakness there that I walk in. So God has been speaking to me on, it's time to march for war. Proverbs 14 verse 2 says, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. He who is perverse in his ways despises him. If you go down to Proverbs 14, 6, it says, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. The scoffer, the mocker, the one who mocks the things of God, who does not take the things of God seriously, they will seek wisdom and not find it. I don't want to be that way. I want to find wisdom. I want to move on in the Lord. I want to grow in my faith, and I want to walk after the Lord Jesus, according to his will and purpose for my life. And I know this church all wants to do that. So we're going to share a little bit of of my heart. I hate talking about my weakness, but that's got to be addressed. Because if we're going to march to war, we're going to have to do some training. Lord, we thank you, God, for this time tonight. We thank you, Jesus, that we can come. We can open your word, and we can see in it, God, your, your commands and your direction and your purpose for us, and it's nothing but good. So, Lord, tonight, I pray that you would use me God, help me to speak your truths and not my opinions. God, help this word to be spoken in spirit tonight, that it can be received in spirit. That God, it would be you, God, directing this church and instructing us and helping us, God, and calling us into your love and mercy and compassion 
Lord, for us to do that, we have got to take all of you, not some. Help us to see that tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a, a generation of young people and a generation of older people who uh, are scoffers when it comes to wisdom. And I was thinking about this. Before we get to marching on for the Lord, we have to understand something about pursuing God. I, I was thinking about uh, a couple years ago, Austin and Heather, you guys had some kids in your college class who loved to ask questions but didn't want the answers. Have you ever met somebody like that? They ask the questions, but they don't really want the truth. They want to run circular logic. Brother Dustin and I would talk about that sometimes. Circular reasoning. Circular. They want to ask questions to just to prove a point that you're wrong, that God is not true. For example, the atheist will say something like, hey, if God is all-powerful, can he create something that he cannot lift? What kind of nonsense are you even talking about? Well, see, this just proves God can't be all-powerful because he can't create something that he can't lift. And in the circular logic, they will use as scoffers. They use it to mock God and totally miss the truth. And those who mock God, they seek wisdom and they do not find it. Those that want to ask questions without receiving the truth, listen, Jesus is not afraid of your question. He is not afraid of you asking. He is not afraid of us when we don't understand and we come to him in a little bit of doubt. Lord, I'm not sure. In fact, there were those in the Scripture that said, God, help my unbelief. Lord, touch me in this area of weakness of mind and understanding. I don't know what to do. That does not bother the Lord. He will help our unbelief. He will give us wisdom and knowledge. He says, ask of His Spirit who will give to us wisdom. He's not withholding that, but there's an issue. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to know the truth. We don't want to have to deal with the truth. And the scoffers seek wisdom and they cannot find it. If you are seeking answers in this world, you will not find wisdom. You're seeking answers to money, relationships, your career, how to raise your family. When you seek from this world, you will find answers, but it is not wisdom. It's the same thing in our Christian faith. If we seek answers from a worldly perspective, from the flesh. We cannot understand the things of God. It is a mockery to try to find the answers to Christ with our own flesh mind and our, and our, and our flesh understanding. His things are spiritual. So to understand the battle, to get to this point where we have to march out to war, I need to understand something. This is a spiritual battle that will be fought in spirit and through my flesh, but spirit first. His kingdom is not of this world. If it were, he said to Pilate, my servants would fight for me. But yet his servants would die by the thousands, martyred, persecuted. They did fight this thing, and they did have suffering in this flesh, and they did have sacrifice in this flesh, and there were things that were lived out, and they were walked out in the flesh. But the battle was not with flesh and blood. So to march for God, I need to seek wisdom from him, and I need to accept the answer. I need to receive from the Lord. There's something about being perverse in your ways that causes you to hate God. Have you seen this move in Christendom? Have you seen this in the modern church? Where the more perverse they get, the more they hate the truth and the Word of God. They hate it so much they are attacking those who would stand in truth. They are coming after those who would speak the truth 
who would follow Jesus in purity. There's a hatred within the faith because perverse people despise the Lord. Jesus said, they don't hate you, they hated me first. This attack is only going to grow. And there's a lot of good Christians in this world still. In this country, there are good churches. We're going to go celebrate with a few churches here in the next few weeks. We're going to have service with them and fellowship with them. There are people seeking truth and finding Christ. But we need to understand the battle. It's, it's raging. It's going on. In Colossians 2.3, it says, In Jesus Christ, in whom all treasure of wisdom and knowledge is hid in him. It's not hidden so that you can't find it. It's stored up somewhere. It's a secret place. I love that song we sing, in the secret place, in that secret space, in the shelter of His love. There's a location for you to find all wisdom and knowledge. There's a place, and it's open. You know how to get there. It's in Christ. It is stored up. It's hidden from the world. It is revealed openly to the Christian. You're bringing people to Christ, and when they unlock a relationship, when they enter into fellowship, when they're born again, they have access to the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Every one of us does. Why then? Why do we keep seeing young people, older people, everybody in between, seeking answers outside of Christ? Because America wants to find hope for the nation outside of Jesus. You are seeing this in the conservative movement. Morals and values are a good thing, but they have them outside of Christ. It's just morals and values. They call it Judeo-Christian values. They take it from the book. They make it into law. Benjamin Franklin was a known agnostic. He said, hey, look, religion is good. I just don't believe that way. That's your conservative movement. It's outside of Christ. But for us to find wisdom, we need to find it in Him because all wisdom and knowledge. If you walk outside of the Lord, you will eventually become perverse in your ways, and you will despise the Lord. It's the pattern that's happened in my life at times. I have walked that out. Sandy and I moved away. I was first a Christian, and we got married, and we moved to Santa Rosa, and I began to walk away from the Lord, and I did my own thing, and I sought my own way, and I tried to find my own wisdom, and I tried to build a job, and I tried to get things right. And you know what happened to me over the course of a year and a half? I came to hate the things of God. I never said it. I never called people about it. And one day my wife calls Pastor Rodney and says, please come intervene. Please drive three and a half hours and do something. Please come down and share something with my husband because he's starting to hate God. Thank God for ministers, leaders, and friends who love our soul. I wouldn't be standing here today if there weren't some men and women who took my life spiritually much more serious than I was. It's time to march for war. I was thinking of some strategies militarily. You remember in Exodus, God is going to call out the children of Israel. Moses is going to lead them. Understand there's a million people, not one of them trained in war, only Moses. Not one slave. Do you think Egypt trained slaves to fight? They trained them to die. They trained them to work. These were not trained soldiers. These were slaves. And a million of them are going to leave Egypt, they're going to exit, exodus Egypt. And if you're going to look at a, at a really solid military strategy, it would not be to lead them up to the edge of the Red Sea and be sandwiched in between the greatest military power of the world. 
Yet that's what God did. God led them to the Red Sea. They are caught now between the greatest military in the world and a perishing ocean, a sea. They can't cross. They can't make boats. They will die right here. And God leads them there. This is not good strategy. But Moses follows anyway. Moses is going to get out of his own way in this, and he is going to follow the Lord. He's going to lead the people because it's where God said to go. Look, sometimes it doesn't make sense what God is telling you to do. There are some things God is telling you to lay down, some things God is telling you to do or not to do, and it doesn't always make sense, but it has to be obeyed. Because if you're going to march to war, you need to follow the instruction of the captain, and the captain of your salvation is Jesus. And when the Lord speaks and he commands, it needs to be followed and obeyed. On your march to war, and you are marching to war, you're going to either die in your sin or you're going to have victory in Christ. But there's a marching going on, and you've got to obey the voice of the Lord. He's commanding, he's instructing, he is leading, and his way leads to victory and to life eternal. But the people don't see it. They, they, they are scared. They're stuck here between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh. Now, in the Scripture, Egypt is a type of sin. It's a parable to sin, an allegory, a picture. So oftentimes in the Scripture, it will refer to Egypt referring to sin. They're trapped between sin and death, impending death. All they have hope in is that the God that just did ten plagues, all they have hope in is that somehow Yahweh, who performed ten major signs and wonders, of which all of them were designed to take down the false gods of Egypt. If you look at those plagues, every one of them attacked one of the false gods that they had. Why? Because Israel is indoctrinated. They, they are, all they know are these false gods. All they know is Egypt. They've got some prophecies. They have some things going on. But they are being bred up as slaves to Egypt, knowing these gods. God takes them all down, takes them to the brink of death, on the very edge of disaster. And they have one hope. Caught between sin and caught between death. God steps in. He parts the sea. This is an impossible thing. This has never been done. This is an impossibility. It's the worst military strategy you could ever say. Well, we're just going to back ourselves against a wall and hope God knocks the wall over. And God parts the sea. God's plan all along was to do something amazing right here. Israel's going to walk on dry land. They're going to get away from Egypt. And then God is going to let, because sin does not give up pursuing you, Christian. It will not stop. It does not stop. The goal is to kill you. Now, you play around with it some, but the goal of that is to kill you. The enemy does not want to stop. He wants to kill you. Even if it costs him everything, he's going to pursue you. And God knows that. He knows your enemy. And so here that Red Sea is parted, and it's parted long enough for all the armies of Pharaoh to enter in, and then he closes up that sea, and they're destroyed, freeing Israel completely. There will be no chasing from their sin. This is deliverance. This is what God wants to do. Why does he give marching orders sometimes into battles that seem impossible? Because there's going to be freedom on the other side, a freedom you couldn't imagine before, a battle that he wins completely and totally. Amen. 
And so God is going to lead them through and close off all that sin. And now there's a new life and there's a promised land and there's a place to go without any fear of being pursued because he destroyed them all. There's another battle at Jericho. And God's going to lead Israel to Jericho. And, and this time he's going to say, you're not going to fight here either. You've got trained warriors now. You've got men ready for battle. He's called them to fight. He has sent them to fight, but not this time. You're going to walk around this city. These are fortifications. These walls are high. What you would do, Brother Dustin, is you would do a siege on a city like this. You would plan for the long haul. You would stop their supplies. You would take out their resources, and that city would eventually surrender or die. They don't run a military plan like that. God says, no, you're going to walk around this city six, six days. You're going to walk this city. The seventh day, you're going to walk seven times. And we're going to blow trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before me. And you're going to shout. And you're going to shout my name. You're going to shout that praise. And the walls will come down and I will give victory. Man, God was showing me he is the head of this thing. He's always the head. He's the captain of your salvation. You don't run to a battle that he's not leading in. You don't go to a battlefield where Christ is not already there. He's already in victory, but he says, you have got to come out to the battlefield, prepared, ready, obeying my voice. I am before you, that Ark of the Covenant's before them. It's a picture of Christ. Everything who God is, is in that Ark. It's not an idol. It's who God is representing before them. And they're going to praise. And they're going to shout the name of the Lord. There are times that you can do nothing in your life, but shout praise. There are times that you can't do anything to, to succeed, to overcome, except name the name of God, keep Him out in front of you, and God is going to win that battle. We have to march on. We have to be ready. We have to want it. Because there's nothing but battle after battle in this life, in this flesh, but it's victory every time in Christ. The last one I want to talk about, there's, there's so many. You're probably thinking right now of Gideon, of other battles, of things that happened, but I want to talk about David quickly. You know the story of David and Goliath. But you talk about a poor strategy. I can't even believe David would run out with nothing but a sling and a stone. But he says something profound. I don't come with the armor, with the shield, with the sword. I come in the name of the Lord. I come in the name of the... David is going to go out in the name of the Lord. That's all he has. The giant is huge. He's armored up. He's armored up. He's huge. David's going to take him out with a stone and a sling. It's the victory in God, in Christ. I don't know how David knew to do it. But he knew to do it. I don't know if it was because David had practiced. He, he, had, he had slain lions. He, he had slain bears as he was a shepherd in the field. Could you imagine that he is slaying these wild beasts, crazy wild beasts with his bare hands, with primitive weapons? Maybe that's how, but he knew the voice of the Lord enough to say, this is my call. I'm going to go out here in the name of the Lord. And I know this much now in my life. Whatever I do in the name of the Lord, and that's more than just naming him. Let me just real quick. You can't say I, I add Jesus to my life. It's in his character. It's in who he is. I'm going to go out in who Jesus 
is in his character. And I am going to go out to this battle in the character, in the entirety of who he is. And God delivers. And God brings victory. For you wrestle not with flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, you wrestle not. But you do fight powers and principalities and powers of darkness and rulers of the darkness of this time, of this age. Every one of us, you are to be fighting. If you're not, you are dying. Every morning we start a day in the battlefield. The war is on and it's in full effect. None of us can afford to do this. Go through life oblivious. There are bullets whizzing over your head. There's explosions to the left, to the right. It's going to sound like 4th of July every day spiritually. You have a sniper that's got his scope set on you and you don't even know it. He has you lined up in his sights and he will take the shot when he can. You have an assassin stalking you. He is finding ways to sabotage you. He is putting in front of your eyes and your heart things that will deceive you, things that will take you from the training, from the battle, from being effective in the kingdom of God. And this is happening every day. And if we go around oblivious to this, we will lose because we're not following the commands of the captain. He is calling. He is directing. He is teaching. He is leading. He is trying to prepare you. He's trying to prepare me. And how often do I go oblivious to it? And the bombs are going off. And the bullets are whizzing by. And I'm lined up in the sights of a sniper. And I'm just happy, go lucky, don't give a care. Now, I'm not saying we don't enjoy things. I'm not saying we don't love our families. We certainly do. But the wise man, we see a little bit deeper than just the surface level. We know there's a battle up ahead. We know there's things going on. We know there's an attack on our life at all times. So we compartmentalize men. And we understand that there is family time. And there is times for joy. And there are times to do this. And there are times, but there is always a watchful eye on the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. You have an adversary seeking who he may devour like a roaring lion. Sober-minded is clear-minded. It is clear-minded. Okay, well, Brother Chris, we don't drink, we we don't do drugs, so we're sober-minded. Time out. There's a lot of things in your culture today that the enemy knows cloud your mind, cloud your judgment. Um. I have been clouded. I have had my mind shrouded. I have been distracted to a dangerous point. And again, I am not saying that you just live every moment is like in fear and I don't know what I can do. I can't enjoy anything. That is not what the Lord is saying in these verses. Be clear-minded always because there is a lurking enemy trying to take you down. And he will strike when you don't suspect it. Vigilant is, is watchful. Man, it's like scouting ahead, Tony. Tony, I like to go on vacation and we, we walk ahead of everybody because we're scouting. This, this is what he told me one day. He said, we walk ahead of everyone because we're just scouting it. We're just making sure everything's safe. But on the battlefield, you got scouts. They know where the enemy's lining up. They're, they're finding out where to go. You, you have men at night who take turns staying up, and, and they're watching, and they're listening. And if a wild beast comes into camp, they, they, they're not surprised. And if, if the enemy tries to sneak in, they're not surprised. 
Adam was not vigilant in the garden. He was sober-minded. He had his thoughts when he chose to sin himself. But he was not vigilant. He was not watchful. He was not paying attention to what was creeping in. And the Lord convicted my heart and said, it's time to march to war. It's time to march to war. Isaac, I was thinking about something. I'm going to use you for audience participation. Don't you love being used for audience participation? Saying about the roaring lion. Now, back in California, how many just Oklahoma-only people? Just Preston, are you the only Oklahoma-only person? We had mountain lions in California. It was awesome. And uh, in the, on the mountains, we had them. But also, sometimes on park trails, sometimes they would come close into rural areas. And they'd kill livestock. And there were times they killed people. People on a, on, a, on, a, on a trail in Sacramento, I remember mountain lion killed, I think, two or three people on there. We had mountain lion attacks in the Redding area at times. I begin to think about, you're the only person I've hunted with, which it was fellowship hiking, but it was good. But I thought, what, what if? Just, just play along with me. There's some attacks near our home, and we know there's a mountain lion on the loose, and, and he's killed some livestock, and he's attacked some people. And so everybody's looking for it, and they find out that den is on your property. Nobody can go on your property. I know you. That lion's there near your children. What are you going to do? You're going to do What? Austin, do you agree? Anybody here disagree with Rodney? You'd kill it, right? Would you gear up to go kill that thing? Would you get the right rifle? Would you have backup plan if you missed? Would you take a few brothers with you? You probably, right, right. I'm, you get the picture of what I'm saying. It is not enough that we sit back. Isaac, you wouldn't board your windows up and your doors up and tell your family not to go outside. Eventually, you'd starve to death, would you not? You would, at some point, go insane from being isolated out of fear. But what you would do, what every man here would do, is gear up, rifle up, and go out and destroy the enemy on their property. And in the spirit, there's a lion seeking whom he may devour. There is an enemy who is stalking you. There is somebody after your soul, and not just you, your family. Young people, he wants you now so you never have the family. He wants to get you now so you never get to a point where you raise godliness in a home. But the enemy wants to destroy you, and you've got to gear up, head out, and kill it. In the name of the Lord. So you can't do this in your own strength. That's what God really began to show me. Well, yeah, but I don't have the same skills as pastor. I don't, I don't know the scripture like you, pastor. I, I don't have the worship you have, Rodney. I, I don't have the insight. God speaks through you sometimes. I don't, I don't, I've never experienced that. I don't have this. I don't have that. I give excuse after excuse. And the Lord said, all I need you to do is meet me on the battlefield. Because the victory is in him alone. He's the captain. What are we afraid of? Why are we so fearful? Why won't we go out with everything and give it all to him and say, I am on the battlefield and I will fight to the death for my Lord. We lack this sort of gumption. We lack this self-discipline that says, I will fight. And in the spirit, the lions are killing our kids. In the spirit, the lion is destroying our education. Our country is crumbling around us. And all we can do is fight for the ground of our homes, the ground of our churches, and that is enough to have impact. Because the Lord's kingdom will go on. And the more that His servants fight spiritually, the more ground we take back from the enemy and the less ground we lose, the more of a chance our children have to truly make it.
Go to Ephesians chapter 6. You know we have to go here. We have to go here. I missed something fun. There are some complainers when you go and destroy the enemy. I was thinking about, Brother Isaac, if we, if we killed that mountain lion, all the animal rights activists that would probably want to shut down our home, shut down our church, shut down our life. You know, there are people that defend the enemy. They defend it. They tolerate the sin. They tolerate Egypt. They tolerate the roaring lion. That's the word that we have to use now. We tolerate it. Now, <clears throat> before I get to Ephesians 6, I was listening to a, a preacher, and he said this. He said, don't mistake God's patience for tolerance. Don't mistake God's patience for tolerance. And I thought, oh, boy, have I done that? Have I been there? I have done that exact thing. Thought, God, he, yeah, it's okay. So I'm not taking the battle. So I'm not doing this. So I'm not doing that. Yeah, but God, God's fine. I mean, my life's going good. Things are going good. I feel blessed. I have things going right. And the Lord is saying, it's time to march. It's time to march to the battle. And there are people who will defend the enemy, and they are going to criticize, and they're going to come from the churches. They're going to come from Christians. The, the biggest attack that we're going to face is not from the world. Now, we will be persecuted. There's persecution that's always happening. The enemy wants to kill everybody. Just be honest about that. He wants all of America dead and all the Christians. But there is such a criticism and such an attack that when we do go to battle, expect those that you would think would be your ally to not be. It's you and the Lord and the brothers and sisters in Christ that he has given you. That's why the local body means so much. The local, everybody's local body should mean so much to them because we do this thing together. Ephesians 6, verse 13. This is right after he explains that we don't wrestle in flesh and blood. Therefore, take up the whole or complete armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For all of us. It is important that we all fight. It is important that we all put the armor on. And it's not just to defend. Understand something. We don't put the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, the boots, grab the sword and hide. That is not the picture of any sort of military. That is not the picture of any battle. You don't get all armored up, geared up, and then go hide. That's what we do. We, we ask the enemy to be merciful, not God. We ask the enemy to ease up on us, not God. God, just, just, but you please just ask the devil to go lighter on me. Instead of going out and taking the battle where it needs to be, in the Lord and attacking this enemy. And we need to be prepared. We need to have the breastplate on. And not just Sunday, and not just Wednesday. And this is something that we're all good at. I've been good at this. Hey, it's Sunday morning. My righteousness plate is on. You're gonna need a little more righteousness than one day a week. 
I got the sword of the spirit of truth. That, wait, wait a minute, pastor is preaching. He's got the sword. You can run that. I don't need it today. But this is something that every Christian must make an effort. We must, and I, I know for me, at least for me, there has to be an effort to take this life a little more seriously. Just a little more seriously. Because the devil's playing for life and death. We're not. But he is. We have a really good life in America. I'm telling you all these difficulties, and when you look at this compared to the world, we have it good in the flesh. Really easy. I have it really easy. I'm stressing out over not having enough money to make bills. I'm stressing out, but I'm eating just fine. There are people around this world that aren't eating. We have it really easy. We have it really good in this flesh. But I have got to make a mental and a spiritual and a physical effort to get up and prepare for war, to march out to meet my captain, to meet him on the battlefield, to be a servant, to obey, to be part of this group that is fighting together the enemy and keeping him and driving him back. And we don't stop. We don't just get him far enough and then retreat. We never stop retreating. God told Israel every time they took ground, He said, destroy them all. Drive them all out. Do not stop until everything is conquered. And every time they retreated and every time they held back, the enemy got a foothold again. And the enemy built up a stronghold again. And the false gods came back. And the deceptions came back. And the type of sin came back. And there was no victory there was temporary release, temporary reprieve. The armor, the sword, they're for battle. And you're to put them on, and they're inside things. The sword of the spirit of truth, of the word of God, this is the rhema. This, this word in this part is the rhema. Remember, in, I think it's in Hebrews, the spirit of God is, the logos of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce and divide Soul and spirit, right? The, the bone, the marrow. That, for the church, the logos of God, cuts our heart. It, it removes things in our life. And God is so delicate. I, I see that picture, almost a, a scalpel that, that is coming in, and it's cutting away for the church. But when you fight the enemy, it's the sword of the rhema. What did Jesus do when the devil tempted him? He quoted scripture. He used an understanding of what God had commanded clearly. To walk after the Lord perfectly. And Satan tried to twist the rhema. Let's go back to Eve in the garden. What, what did the devil do to Eve? He twisted the rhema. God gave a command. He said, do not eat of this fruit. If you do, you will surely die. And the devil takes the rhema, the spoken word of God, and he twists it on Eve and deceives her. It's the same game plan. He's doing the same thing. The devil's doing the same exact thing. And we have got to understand, number one, all these things in us, they have roots in the logos of God and the spirit of God, righteousness and peace and salvation and truth. These are things we understand in our being. But what I fight with is the exact understanding of what God has spoken and written to his church. I don't do more and I don't do less. I don't get outside of his will, Pastor. I, I stay in it, but I don't do less than what he's called me to do. There are things we know to fight, is what I'm saying. 
There are areas of perversion that we need to stop calling them not a big deal. Stop acting like this isn't going to hurt me. There are areas of sin that are attacking us that were as big a deal in the Old Testament to the New Testament to today. They haven't changed. They're as big a deal then as they are now. Just because the churches have eased back, just because Christianity refuses to call out sin from the pulpit doesn't mean it's not sin. Just because the mainstream church won't talk about homosexuality or abortion or transgenderism or any other things or fornication, just premarital sex, they won't deal with it anymore, doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean God is winking at it now, doesn't mean God is eased up. We have to take the ground back in our homes, in our families, and we have the rhema of God. I don't have to guess. I have it right here. I don't swing a sword that I'm not sure about. I take what God has delivered in my heart, what God has delivered to his apostles, and I make a life in my home. And we stand on that ground, and we say, devil, you're not coming in. And when he quotes the scripture at me, I know what God said. When he tries to twist the word of God on me, I know what he said. I don't look in the scripture for excuses. I don't try to twist it up so I don't have to follow God or obey his voice on the battlefield. Amen? I need to know what he said because that is my weapon. The armor of God is not worn just in case you're attacked. It's worn so you can take the battle to the enemy. Never get out ahead of Jesus. He's your captain. He's the head of the church. Men, we are the head of our home. Pastor Ronnie, such amazing. Thank you. Thank you for preaching on masculinity. Thank you for giving us things to think about and understand what God's called us to be and who he's called us to be. We might be the head of our home. We're head of the wife, head of the family, yes. We're the first line of defense, right, when, when things attack. But really, we're not the first line of defense. Christ is the head of the man. The captain is out ahead in the battle. And when I think I can do this on my own, when I think I have something beat, when I think I've got sin beat myself, I am setting myself up for a big defeat. I don't get out of the will of my captain. I don't get away where I can't hear him. I don't get to a place where I do this on my own. I armor up, I get my weapons together, and I meet my captain on the battlefield, and I do this every day. And I do it every single day. Day. When you join the military in this country, every morning you will get up at 0500, 0600, whatever time it is, and you will run, and you will work out, and you will go to a job that they tell you to do, and when they call you to battle, you will go, and when they place you somewhere, you will be there, and when they tell you to fight, you will fight. Every day as a Christian, I am to surrender to my Lord, my captain. And when he tells me where to go, I go. And when he tells me to stay, I stay. And he tells me where to fight, I fight. But I am ready. I am geared up. I am obedient to where he wants to go. And we have to drive the enemy back. I'm going to need what God has declared. We have our marching orders, church. The rhythm of the cadence of the Lord. He has a cadence to what he's commanding the church. The number one voice we have to hear is Jesus. He said, my sheep know me. They know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And he is calling out a cadence, a rhythm to the march. And it's not only these things, but it sounds a little something like this, faith. You walk by faith, not by sight. 
You're going to follow my lead in faith. You're going to grab that shield of faith. That's going to turn away the fiery darts of the enemy, no matter how far away he's at, as he's throwing those darts, those thoughts into your mind, as he's putting in front of you those areas that would tempt you, deceive you, twist up your ideas. You've got the shield of faith marching to the cadence that the Lord, the captain, calls out. The cadence of obedience so much better than sacrifice. It is just not enough to say, God, I don't do this. I don't do that. Look at what I do here. That's not it. Obedience is the cadence of the Lord. We obey Him. We, Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And that obedience is what He's looking for. He's looking for us to say, God, I don't care what it is. You point me, I will go. You set me up on this battlefield, I will fight. I'll defend my home, my family, my church, and anybody within reach, my neighbor, somebody at work, I will defend the truth of the gospel if you point me in that direction. Because, Lord, I'm not going to get ahead of you, but I am going to fight with you and for you, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do, the cadence of obedience. Training is required. And this same captain is going to train you and he's going to use leadership, and he's going to have men and women who encourage, who speak the Word of God, who lead us in worship, who get our hearts open and ready to be trained. And the Lord speaks in that, and He speaks in a cadence that helps you to march to war. Hearing the voice of God in the training ground. Preparation is required. And the voice of the captain calling out the cadence to those marching is be prepared. And I could go to so many places, we don't have time tonight. We can talk about the ten virgins. We can talk about all kinds of places of preparation. But just understand that you've got to put the armor on every day. You don't head out without it on. We are weak in ourselves, But God has given us the armor to wear, the sword to wield. And He's calling out the cadence. He is telling us to follow Him. Our primary focus in this life is the battle for His kingdom in our lives. Primary, number one, if you are focused on anything else, and I'm speaking to me, this is an area of God. I cannot be more focused on anything else besides His kingdom and the battle for His kingdom in my personal life first because I am the head. And then in my home where my wife stands next to me and my children stand after me and in my church where I'm part of this group, the kingdom of God is the number one focus for the servant, for the soldier. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Listen to the voice of God. The Lord wants us not just to survive an attack, not just to make it through a hard time, he wants us to conquer in victory. And as the captain of our salvation, he makes a way where it seems impossible. He parts the Red Sea. He drops the walls of Jericho, and he causes that sling and stone to take out the giant. That's what your God, the captain of your salvation, does. Isn't he good? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, Pastor.